to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, we'll make sure you get one. Anybody need a Bible this morning? Ephesians chapter 4, and when you get there, stand with me. We'll read the text together. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at beginning in verse 17 this morning, and we'll look at the first two verses of that section. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, says, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to, pra to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth which is with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let them labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting, no, let no corrupting talk come out of the, your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And what an incredible passage we have before us, Lord. We ask you to allow our ears to be attentive to what you would say to us. This is not just a letter that was written nearly 2,000 years ago to a group of believers in a specific place, but it was written by you to us today as well. And so you want to say something to us, Lord. And we ask you to just, by your Holy Spirit, speak directly into our lives. And we ask you to change our lives this morning. And we ask you to bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you're in Christ? What is the greatest identifier of a person who claims to be a Christian? There are many, but what, what would you say is the single most greatest identifier of being a Christian? A new life, exactly. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. How do you know you're a Christian? Simply by considering 
who you were and who you are now. Has there been a change? No change? Guess what? No Christian. That's what the Bible says. Don't get mad at me. The Bible says that. If you're not a new creation, you're not a Christian. But if you are a new creation, then you are a Christian. The reality is Christ came to take dead people and make them alive. That's why he came. You and I were dead. Now, dead people are not alive. I didn't know if you knew that. I thought I had to tell you that this morning. Dead people are lifeless people. They have no life in them, although in our world, they seem like they're alive and they think they're alive, but they're not. They're missing an inc- a crucial component to their life that they are searching for, and you know the feeling because you've been there. As an unbeliever, you understand the void. You understand that you are seeking the spirit of life that God blew into Adam's nostrils in Genesis when he said, and he blew the, blew the spirit of life into him. The same spirit that Jesus blew upon the disciples in the upper room after he was resurrected, remember, received the spirit of what? It's the spirit of life. You've been born again. How do I know I'm a Christian? I'm a new creation. That's how I know. The old man has been done away with. The old nature is gone. God has replaced your nature, your your old nature, with a new nature. Uh, Jeremiah talks about a new heart that is fleshly, that is soft, that can feel the Lord, that can sense the Lord, that that knows, that, that thinks like the Lord thinks. So here's the deal. You are new on the inside. You have been changed. Heaven is literally in your heart. You have, you are, your citizenship is no longer of this world. You have characteristics, godly characteristics of a heavenly citizen. Why? Because you've been made new. You're a new creation. The old part of you is the flesh, the outward body. But guess what? One day, the outward body will be changed. The Bible tells us 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable and shall be changed. For this perishable body, listen, must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. You already have heaven in your heart. You already have the characteristics of a heavenly citizen, but your body is warring with you, the flesh, the outward man. And so as we come to this set of passages, or th- these scriptures in Ephesians chapter 17, or chapter 4, verse 17 through 32, we find Paul describing what is this, this mystery of putting on and putting off of putting on and putting off. And he's speaking about the outward man. He's saying the inward man is already brand new. You don't have to put that on and put that off. But you have to battle the outward man because the outward man is still here. Paul called it the body of death. Who shall deliver me from this what? Body of death, the flesh. So there's a battle going on. Who's in control? The spirit. The spirit's in control. That's why we can put off and put on 
Oh, the choice is yours. What spirit will you live by? That's what he wants us to understand as we come to these, uh, these, these set of verses here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 32. He wants us to understand that there is a war going on, but he wants you to know that you win. That you win. Why? Because Christ wins. Christ wins. As Paul illustrated to us in Romans chapter 6, I talked about this last week, verses 3 through 4, he says, do you not... Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, we, with him in, by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You have the capacity to walk in newness of life. You have that because Christ gave you that because he won it. He overcame so that you can overcome. So therefore, Paul says this about that then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. You know the verse, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer what? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me, right? And so what we find here is, is Paul speaking about a crucified life Walking and that's that's the whole idea of putting on the new life and putting off the old life. It's because you're dead. Now I came across a picture on Facebook this week. One of my friends uh, on Facebook, a girl that I know, I went to high school with. She she was posting a picture of a shirt that she was given by her personal trainer. Now context is totally different, but the question is relevant. Here's the question. Here we go. But did you die? But did you die? understand her personal trainer said put that shirt on you didn't die after your workout so praise the lord but i ask you the question as a christian but did you die did you die are you in christ that's really the question that if you are then you died and if you died who's living through you paul said christ is it's really simple isn't it let christ live through you and you will put on the spirit of god you will walk in the spirit, and you will not walk in the flesh. Paul wants us to understand that we're called to walk in newness of life. It's a state of being new and different and with the implications of superiority. So your life should be totally different as a Christian. Doesn't mean you don't, doesn't mean you don't struggle. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but there should be an, an, an innate desire in your heart to do what's right. Not that you don't battle things or stumble along the way or anything like that, but there should be a desire to live in the new man. There should be that. Why? Because you died. You died. Don't, don't resurrect yourself. Let the new man live. The title of my message this morning, and it will be for the next few weeks, is Walking in Newness. Paul shows us, firstly, what it doesn't mean to walk in newness, and then he tells us what it does mean to walk in newness, and then he shows us what it looks like. That's really the outline of verses 17 through 32. I've outlined it like this. First of all, uh, verses 17 through 19, who walking in the newness doesn't resemble, uh, who walking in newness does resemble, verses 20 through 24, and then finally, verses 25 through 32, what walking in newness looks like outwardly. Now, I decided to slow my roll a little bit on this section because I feel it's so important that we understand it. And so we're just going to look at the first point this morning. We're going to look at 
you know, who walking in newness doesn't resemble? And I've got a little outline up there for you. Who walking in newness of life doesn't resemble? And there are four characteristics that accompany the life of the person we're not, we ought not resemble, who is the Gentile. And so we're going to walk through that this morning. Let's consider who walking in the, in the newness doesn't resemble. Verse 17, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Notice Paul says now. What he's doing, maybe your Bible version says therefore. Again, what is the therefore therefore? It's because he's connecting what he just said, verse mainly, chapters 1 through, through 3, uh, to what he is saying now. Therefore, or now, I say and testify in the Lord. What Paul is saying, he wants you to understand, are these are not his words. These are words from God to you. He's testifying in the Lord. These words have weight. These are directly from who we would say the man upstairs, right? These are directly from God to you. And here's what, what God wants you to know. He wants you to understand that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You must not. It's a mandate. It is a command from God to you that you must obey. He is telling you. And, and 1 John, uh, you know, John, right, the Apostle John writes to us in 1 John, and he says, listen, if you don't keep the Lord's commandments, you're not in him. And also Jesus said the same thing. So what Paul is saying is you must not, the Lord's saying you must not because he already reiterated what we must do. He's already told us in the scriptures over and over again that we need to walk like he walked, right? Now he's telling these guys you must not do this. Why? Why would, why would he be four chapters deep into this letter and then say, oh, by the way, don't do this? It's because they're doing this. Because they are doing this. You see, Ephesus is an incredibly pagan city. And these believers got saved in Ephesus, and, but that didn't change the city. There's still, you know, the, 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 they have an incredible, the, one of the seventh, the seventh wonder of the world, the temple to Artemis or Diana, and you can read in the book of Acts about Paul going in through Ephesus and transforming the city to such a degree that the, uh, the silversmiths are losing money from the, idol, uh, the little idols that they are fashioning because people aren't buying them because they're being transformed. But here's the danger of the, those who are living in Ephesus that they go back to the old man and they allow that nature to infiltrate the church. And he's saying, do not do that. Don't allow that old man to come into the church. That's pretty relevant to us, is it not? I mean, we all come from different areas in the United States or whatever. We all come from different places. And so our cultural, um, you know, experiences are different but here's the reality is that there is a war on God's word and there's a war on Christianity and essentially the enemy has done an incredible job of uh, just simply making Christians be so preoccupied to try and reach the world that they become like the world that it infiltrates the church and now we don't there are no lines we're just hey we're just trying to reach people but you look just like the world you look identical to the world Oh, but we're, we're trying to, we're seeker-friendly, you know, and we're allowing, no, what you're doing is walking like the Gentiles walk. I, I was, my cousin sent me a picture yesterday. He was up, Josh was up in Nashville yesterday. He sent me a picture of 
the Presbyterian Church downtown Nashville flying the um, LBGT flag on the church building in the name of Jesus. Do you not see the relevance of the passage? Listen, do not walk like the Gentiles walk. Be careful that the culture's not transforming you and you're not transforming the culture. We're called to be transformers. We're called to flip the world upside down with the gospel, not allow the world to flip the gospel upside down in our lives in, in the church. You have to be very, very careful about that. It's happening, folks. Paul says, and this is a loose trans translation, I like to look at it like this, hey, dodo brains, don't do that, right? I mean, he's saying, Christians, do not do that. Do not walk like that. The, the word Gentile literally can be translated nations. Don't look like the nations. Where did you hear that? The Old Testament. Didn't God say that over and over again to Israel? Don't look like the nations. Don't look like the nations. Be separate. Be, you know, be, be, call, be called out ones. Be different than the world. That hasn't changed. He's calling you and I to be different from the world. We are not to be like the pagans or the heathens. What, what are they like? What does that walk look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul gives us four characteristics that accompany the walk of a Gentile. First, they are futile in mind. Look at verse 17. In the futility of their minds, he's saying a walk, the Gentile walk is a walk that is futile in mind. Now, I would suggest that everything, and I, and I think it's clear in the, in the scriptures, although we'll only get to the first part of it today, but when Paul mentions the word mind, he's talking about first and foremost, don't be like the Gentiles, don't have a mind like them, and then he says, has a mind like Christ, down in, I think it's verse 24 or so. The idea is the mind is what controls the outward, the mind, whether, you know, it's in the, in the, the Old Testament, the mind is the heart. It's the center where emotions, intelligence, all of that is all coupled together, and it dictates where the feet go, what the hands do, what the ears allow, what the eyes gaze upon. It is the mind. Paul says don't have a Gentile mind, and, and it's from this mindset that you will find the rest of these things. It is a mindset. To walk out the Christian life is a specific mindset. Emerson had it right when he said, you are what you think all day long. He had it right when he said that. You resemble who you allow to shape your mind. You will resemble, resemble whoever it is that you're allowing to shape your mind. And you know that's true. I, I, it's a stupid illustration, but I can tell you that, you know, when I... When, I, when, you, when you watch certain people and you, and you really like the way that they are, you begin to take on their mannerisms. You ever notice that? It can be your friends. You start laughing like them, talking like them. Why? Because you resemble who shapes your mind. So what does that say? Be careful who shapes your mind. Be very careful about who you allow to shape your mind. Because the Gentiles, they're allowing the enemy to shape their mind. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, they are of their father, the devil. Who's shaping their mind? The devil, not God's word. We ought not be people like that, man. To be futile literally means to be worthless, useless, meaningless. It's to have a useless, meaningless, uh, you know, worthless mind that's being used to pursue useless, worthless, meaningless things. Be careful about your mindset. We see... There, and what this will lead to 
what this a feudal mindset will always lead to is idolatry. It will always lead to idolatry. We see it greatly illustrated in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 15 through 17. It says, they, speaking of the people of Israel, despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false, and they followed the nations that, they were, around, that were around them, concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves metal images of two calves and they made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Listen to this. And they burned their sons and their daughters as offerings and used divinations and omens and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Listen. If you think that you can watch whatever you want to watch, you can read whatever you want to read, you can hang out with whoever you want to hang out with, and it is not going to affect you, you are already affected. You are already deceived. Because the children of Israel are a prime example over and over and over again. I don't know how many times God has to show us that um, bad morals corrupt good character. It, it's just the way it is, folks. We take on people's characteristics. If you hang out with people that have ungodly characteristics, you will have ungodly characteristics. It's not rocket science. So therefore, we have to guard ourselves, guard our minds, so that we do not walk as the Gentiles walk in futility of mind, worthlessness. And I would say that that doesn't necessarily mean in all kinds of vile abominations. That can, that can mean simply walking as the Gentiles do, pursuing the little shiny thing uh, called money or materialism or whatever it is, and you're serving God, but your heart is totally sold out to mammon. Like, it can be that. Man, I, I love hanging out with rich people because I love to see what they have. Guess what? You're going to start to desire what they have. Your feet will match the desire, and now you will start to resemble them. But they, they, they don't father their children very well. They don't uh, you know, they're not, they don't go to church very much. They don't really talk about Jesus much, but they have a lot of money. Be careful. Be careful what you're allowing to shape your mind. Listen, I, I, <laughs> don't judge me, but I, I, I have a fascination with watching, like, uh, you know, people from the hood that, you know, kind of got, like, been raised up and everything, and, and, and you know, um, it's just, I, it's interesting to see. I, I, have, I like watching success stories, and I like watching business things and stuff like that. But when I start watching these things and I see the thug life, you know, I, I start acting like it. It's so weird. It's like, yo, what's up, man? How you, you know, I, you, know you know what I'm talking about. It's serious. It's crazy. It's crazy how easy that happens. Beware. Do not be imitators of the nations. If you hang out with the world, you will be like the world. Doesn't mean you're not called to be in the world. We're called to be in the world, but not of the world. We're not. It's not that we're we're, we're not called to be by people and around people and ministering to people. But we ought not allow them a place to speak into our lives. When you're having marital problems as a Christian, and you go to a non-Christian, and she says, "Drop that bum." Probably is a bum, but you probably shouldn't drop him because the Bible says not to. Be careful about who you're taking counsel from. Um, Paul goes on here and he speaks about not only are the Gentiles futile in mind, but they are also dark in understanding. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. 
Gentiles are, as Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 7, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Why? When your mindset is futile, it darkens your ability to understand. It's not that you can't learn. It's that, listen, you choose not to. It's not that you can't. It's that you choose not to. That's why people reject the gospel. You understand that? It's not because they don't... They don't grasp it. It's because they don't want to. I don't want to change my life. I don't want someone dictating to me what I'm going to do, although one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But, yeah, you can have this temporary life if you'd like, but what a stupid decision. You know, people reject the gospel because their minds are dark, their minds are futile, which leads to a darkening of understanding, trading the temporal for the eternal. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, that the gospel is veiled. What does that mean? Listen, let's just listen to the scripture. And even if our gospel is veiled, if it's veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, listen, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, you can say, well, people don't accept the gospel because they're blinded to it. No, they're choosing to be blinded to it. Don't misunderstand that. Yes, the devil, the devil is dangling the carrot, but he is not blinding the eyes. It's a willful act. It's a willful act of saying, I don't want to know the gospel. I don't want to hear about it. And the enemy says, great, well, let's just cover your eyes then. And he confirms it in your heart. It's something that you have purposely chosen. Can the veil be removed? Absolutely. We're living testimonies of that. And also, the Scripture says that it can be removed by Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.14, but their minds were hardened, speaking to the Jews, for to this day they read the old covenant. That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. What Paul's saying is, is yeah, yes, the veil exists for unbelievers, of course. I was veiled. You were veiled at one point. You read God's Word, and it didn't affect you. Why? Because you're ve it was veiled to you. There's a separation totally illustrated in the tabernacle where there was a veil that covered the Holy of Holies from anybody being able to access God. But here's the thing. What, what, what removes that veil? Christ. When you turn to Christ, the veil is removed. Now you have understanding. So ultimately, as the Lord draws us to himself, his desire is to remove the veil. But if I don't respond to it, the veil exists. So who's responsible? I am. You see, no one will stand before the Lord and say, you did this to me. You didn't let me come. You blinded my eyes. You did those things. No, God will blind your eyes. God will deafen your ears. God will harden your heart after you've already decided to do that. He will do those things. We have, as Christians, been given understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Listen, when we walk like Gentiles, we willfully reject the truth. 
But if we walk in the new man, we will receive it. You see, you're in, you, you, ha, you talk to Christians all the time that say, oh, I can do this, I can do that. No, but the Bible says don't do it. I don't care. What are they doing? They're veiling themselves to the truth. It's not God. He's not the problem. The problem is the human heart and the desire to do whatever I want to do, and I don't care what God says. Can Christians do that? Yeah, you can. That's why we have to be careful with our minds so that our understanding isn't darkened, so that we aren't veiled from, uh, the, from the truth. What does that lead to? The second part of verse 18, it leads to alienation. Check this out. They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul says Gentiles are alienated from God. To be alienated means to be a stranger or a foreigner. What is God's will? God is, God's will is that no one would perish, but all would come to repentance. What does that mean? God's will is that no one would be alienated. God's will is that nobody would be alienated. God desires for to be in relationship with man, but he's also given man a, a responsibility in it. You have to, you have to walk with the Lord. You have to respond to the gospel. You have to respond to the spirit that's drawing you. Why do people choose alienation then? Why do they do it? Paul says because of ignorance due to the hardness of their heart. Because of ignorance due to the hardness of their heart. Alienation by ignorance is again a willful act. It's not that you can't know. It's that you choose not to. Again, the Jews are a great example of this. I'm hammering on them this morning, but they're just like us. We're just like them. Here's what the Lord said through the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed. Why? For lack of knowledge. Not that they can't know, because you have rejected knowledge. Not because you didn't have it. It's because you rejected it. Who is this? The children of Israel. They rejected it. Can you reject it? Of course you can. Of course you can. You can willfully remain ignorant, but ignorance is no what? Excuse. Ignorance is no excuse. God isn't going to say, oh, well, you were ignorant, so, oh. No, you will, it's a willful act. You chose to be ignorant. You chose to be ignorant. That's why the Bible says we are accountable for what we know. To whatever level of the gospel that you understand and you know, that, that you've heard, you're responsible for, the Lord says. That's fair, isn't it? Hey, I gave you an opportunity. It's like, like a policeman, you know, out on the thing. Well, well the, it's posted 55. You know you're supposed to go 55, although, you know, I did some time last week in, in uh, <laughs> court with uh, somebody else here for, for not obeying that, but, you know, it happens. And I didn't go to the judge and say, hey, man, you know, uh, it, it, I just didn't know. Well, there's signs. You're supposed to be reading the signs. You're supposed to be reading. You're supposed to be understanding. You're supposed to be looking. Ignorance actually flows from what? Hardness of heart. It, it, it flows from a hardness of heart. It's, it's a heart issue. To remain ignorant is a heart issue. It's, 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 it's a hardening of the heart. It's a continual, how, do I, how does my heart become hardened? Continual rejection of the truth. The more you reject the truth, the more, hard your, more hardened your heart becomes. He, it is literally 
you know, a hardened heart is literally an unbelieving heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest you, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. Unbelief will harden your heart, Christian and non-Christian alike. It will harden your heart. Unbelief will lead you away from the Lord. And what will happen as the more you reject the truth, the harder your heart will become to the point that maybe you will sear your conscience and, you know, and God will, will confirm that in your, in your life. God did that to Pharaoh, didn't he? Same idea. MacArthur said this about it. He said, when men continually persist in following their own way, they will also eventually be confirmed in their choice by the God of heaven. The Jews who heard Jesus teach and preach had the great advantage of having had God's word given to them through Moses, the prophets, and other Old Testament writers. They had even greater advantage of seeing and hearing God's own incarnate son. But though he had performed so many signs before them, John tells us, yet they were not believing in him. For this cause they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and has hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and be converted, be converted, and I heal them. MacArthur ends this, because they would not believe, they could not believe. Because they would not believe, they could not believe. If you willfully remain ignorant, allowing your heart to be hardened over and over by unbelief, eventually God will seal your ignorance forever. He will seal it. He will seal the deal, deal for you. There is no greater illustration of this than Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 25. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In things that have been made, they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the served and served the creature rather than the creator whom is blessed forever. Amen. No better illustration than that right there. And Christians aren't immune to that. Christians aren't immune to that, that we harden our hearts to the Lord. The danger is, you know, of that, I would say is, at the end of the day, if that's me, I would not feel comfortable with my salvation. I would wonder if I ever came to that place of really accepting Christ in my life. If I can willfully reject God to that degree, and I don't care what he says, I, I'm not your judge, and, and, you know, you can have your own opinion about it, but... I believe that, you know, you, if you're at this stage in, in the game, in Christianity, that the Lord has not entered your heart. I believe if you can come to that place in your life where you completely reject the Lord, you know, ultimately that maybe he never really came in in the first place. And it's, and it's a sad thing. And I, I'm not your judge and I'm not judging. I'm just saying that I would not feel comfortable if that were me. This brings us to the final characteristics, that, that characteristic that accompanies the walk of a Gentile. 
it is insensitivity to impurity. And if this doesn't hit home, I'm not sure what will. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. Again, flowing from a futile mind comes a calloused heart, comes a calloused person, literally a person who has lost capacity to feel shame or embarrassment. To feel shame or embarrassment, to, to be calloused. Sin has a way of doing that to us. It will callous you because you will deal with that shame over and over again and you will have to harden your heart to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes with that sin and the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's why he, he'll tell us here later, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's, he's in your life for a reason. Yes, he empowers you. Yes, he seals you, but also he warns you. And he'll lead you back to the foot of the cross where you will find yourself repenting of the very thing that you are ashamed of. Sin has a way of, heart, of, of, of leading us away from the Lord. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We, the longer we partake in sin, the less shame we feel. And that is true. Look at the church. The longer we partake in sin, the less shame we feel. The more we allow things to, you know, there, there, there are many, many things in the church that we don't even talk about that are an abomination to the Lord. You know, so it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's, not, it's not just the, the, the church leadership. It's every part of the body. Every single person is either contributing to or diluting the truth of the, of the Lord and his word in the church. You know, what, what does my, who am I walking, who do I resemble today? Who am I walking like? It blows my mind of the insensitivity to impurity in our world today in the church. It blows my mind. What, what, as I, you know, as Josh showed me that picture yesterday, I was just like, this is exactly what Paul was talking about 2,000 years ago in Ephesus where there is an insensitivity to, to this. God says, literally, that, that the children of Israel had an insensitivity to impurity too. And he said in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, the Lord speaking, were they ashamed when they committed abominations? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. They didn't know how to blush. And I would say that is... In some degrees, a large part of the church is in that same place where we don't know how to blush. We're not sure where the lines are because we're so, you know, truth is relative to many people. It is not. It is absolute. And what God says is sin is sin, and we don't change that. Right? We, 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 we need to understand that. Many, many people, many things that are happening in the church today are under a Christian guise. They're, un they're under the framework of Christianity, but it is not Christian at all. So, you know, that puts it on you to know what the Bible says about Christianity and what it means to follow Christ, right? That's your responsibility. What you, you're, you're accountable to what you know. And so, you know, when, when you're looking out in the world and you say, and somebody tells you like, man, you know, this church is so loving. They just welcome, you know, anybody in. They have a, um, you know, X, XYZ guy standing in the pulpit and, you know, he really is embracing all of these kind of things, you can firmly say, that is not Christianity. 
that is not following Jesus. Not because you want to start an argument, but because you want to stand for truth. You see, the, the lines are so blurred in our culture. The, 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 the Christian has become so like the world that people don't, they, they're, they're insensitive. They've been desensitized to sin. And so, you know, there needs to be this, and Marty and I have been talking about this, a disruption in modern Christianity. And I'm like, Lord, how do you do it? You know, you have to be very, very careful that you don't become legalistic, but the church has become so liberal that, you know, there's, there's a balance. You know, I think you just teach the word and let the word say what it says, and if people show up, praise the Lord. You know what I mean? You let the Holy Spirit do his job. But, uh, Paul, Paul says, listen, sin is so dangerous that it kills. You know that? Sin kills. Paul said in Romans 7, 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity through the command, deceived me and through it killed me. It will kill you. It will take hold of your life to such a degree that it will kill you literally. Literally. There's an incredible story that I want to I um, give you here in a minute about that. It is so impactful. Paul mentions two things that these Gentiles are being insensitive to. First, sensuality or licentiousness, literally lack of moral restraint. There is no moral restraint to these Gentiles. They have no moral restraint whatsoever. Secondly, they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Do you know what it means to be greedy? It means that you will do whatever you have to do to get whatever you want. You'll do whatever you have to do. So, i.e., it's greedy. People are greedy when they rape somebody. That's because they take what they want and they don't care what it costs. They do what they want to be greedy, you know, and it's something that you have to guard your heart against because greed has no satisfaction. You know, just as uh, Rockefeller was asked the question, how much money is enough? To which he replied, just a little bit more. That's greed. That's what greed looks like. You'll never satisfy it. And that's why you go to, you, you know, that's why it, it continually escalates to the point that somebody would murder even or they would, you know, they take what they want because they're greedy. They're greedy. What are they greedy to do? To practice every kind of impurity. That's speaking primarily of sexual sin. Primarily of sexual sin. And there is an illustration here of that in Genesis chapter 19, which is so clear how sin works. You know the story. Two angels come into town, Sodom, Lot, is there, he sees them in the, the center of the town, and he's afraid for them because he knows the city. He knows the culture. And he says, dude, you guys, where are you guys staying tonight? Oh, we're going to stay in the middle of the town. Uh-uh. No, no, you guys just come with me. Come stay with me. I don't, you don't, I don't, I want you, I don't want you to stay there. You come with me. Not really explaining all that really the reason why he wants them. But this is a guy that feels comfortable living in this kind of place, right? Because he departed from Abraham. But anyway, that's a different story. But here's the thing. is Lot understood the danger of these two. They were angels, but they were in the appearance of men. He said, you don't want to stay out in the square. Let me bring you into my home. So he did. Here's what it says. Uh, verse, Genesis 19.5. The people showed up at the door. They said, they said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them sexually, that we may know them. Now, every man in the city was on the doorstep of Lot's house. Every man. Bring them out. We want to know them. And, and, and Lot replied to them, I beg you, my brothers, 
Do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands, speaking to the angels, and brought Lot into the house and with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house. Now, this is where it gets wicked. Both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. What does that mean? That means sin had seized their hearts to such degree that even though they were blinded, they were still trying to get in to have these men. You don't think that sin has a death grip on you? It will. It will kill you. It will control you. That's why Paul, that's why the Lord is trying to protect us from these things. He loves us. He doesn't want us crippled like this. He doesn't want us being seized like this, that we're, we don't care what pain is in our life. We're just going to pursue the sin that has gripped us. God wants to set us free from these things. And so he has set us free through Christ. But here's the deal. We have to choose to live in that freedom. We have to choose to live in the freedom. Paul says, do not walk like the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? Futile in mind. Dark in their understanding. Listen, they are alienated from God because of the, uh, through ignorance, because of the hardness of their heart. They have become so sinful that they are insensitive to impurity altogether. Let that not be said of us. May we put off the old man and put on the new man. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for what it means for us, Lord. How, Lord, there is, there is freedom in your son this morning. That Jesus came to reckon the old man dead. That the new man might live in and through us. And we ask you this morning, Lord, if, if we have allowed the old man to, in some way, shape, or form, control us to the point that we are walking like a Gentile. <laughs> we are Gentiles, but that you would help us to walk like Christ. Lord, we're asking you this morning to give us the power to overcome the things that are hindering us. This is a serious thing, Lord, and we know that you want to do serious business with us this morning. And so as we consider your word, Lord, would we take heed and, and allow your spirit to lead us into responding the way that we ought to respond. Father, we ask you now by your spirit to come and just speak into our lives. Have your way in us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.